0: Good morning. Good to be here with you guys today. And just a few uh, opening remarks as the baskets pass here and as the offering is collected. Um, just like to request from you guys for some prayer today as I speak. Uh, a couple different prayer requests. Number one is today we're going to be looking at a passage in John. And in that passage, Jesus tells us a little bit about our spiritual enemy, Satan, and about what type of a person he is and what. Type of schemes he has, and so if you would just as as I speak and as you listen, just be mindful in your spirit. Uh, maybe ask God to um, protect you this morning from any distractions that Satan would want to throw your way, any way that he would want to get you off track from hearing the good news of who Jesus is. And then, secondly, if you could just uh, also just say a brief prayer for me at the risk of um, sharing too much TMI. You know, if you're a TMI person. Don't listen to the next thing I'm about to say, but uh, I've been dealing for uh, with a couple months now with uh, with a hernia, and uh, after long periods of standing, it can become pretty sore. And so, uh, if you see me sit or uh, maybe it looks like I'm adjusting my waistband on my pants a little bit, just just pray that God would give me the strength that I need to get through. Is that is that something that you guys can do? Wonderful. We don't. Uh, Yeah, we'll just go with that. You don't need any any more information. (laughs) Well, I'd like you to consider how you would complete this sentence as we begin. I would give anything for blank. Or also you could say, I would give anything to blank. You know, maybe the first thing that pops in your head this morning is, I would give anything for him to never talk about a hernia again. (laughs) Believe me, I would too. Some other things that might pop into your head. I would give anything to lose 20 pounds. I'd give anything to go on a vacation. I'd give anything to have a baby. I'd give anything for my brother or sister to disappear. Any teenagers feel that way this morning? I would give anything to go fishing. I'd give anything for a new job. I'd give anything to find, find that perfect boyfriend or girlfriend. I know some of you are thinking, I'd give anything for school to be done. Students or teachers in the house, I know you're feeling that way. I'd give anything to get out of debt. I'd give anything, you're probably thinking, for the Red Sox to win the World Series this year. Or maybe that's just me. Uh, But that's definitely something I'd give anything for. What would you give anything for? It's a phrase that we've all probably thought. It's a phrase we've all maybe verbalized before. There's things in our lives that we want, that we desire, and we we say this, I'd give anything for that. When I was growing up, I lived on a farm, a five-acre hobby farm. My dad was a semi-truck driver, and we needed the land so that he'd have a place to work on his truck. And, you know, those aren't real good for starting up in the middle of a neighborhood. People don't really appreciate that every morning at 4 a.m., So we had this hobby farm and it was great. We had all kinds of space. My dad built us a baseball field and we had a backstop and a home run fence and everything that we would play on. We had places to build forts and dig holes and do all kinds of things that boys love to do. But we didn't have anything to drive around in the field. And my brothers and I, I have a sister and two brothers, and my brothers and I especially would say, I'd give anything to have, a, to have a dirt bike or a three-wheeler or a four-wheeler to drive around. Well, one day my dad came home and he was a pretty resourceful guy and I think he also wanted to teach us a lesson. And he said, hey, if you go down the street and talk to the neighbors, they might have an idea for you for a four-wheeler, three-wheeler, I'm sorry. And we were excited. We went down the street, my brother and I, and we talked to them and, and we worked out this deal. We would mow their yard all summer long, and in exchange, they'd give us a three-wheeler that they had stored in their shed. We thought that was awesome. Well, we had no idea the price that we would pay for that. I mean, they had a huge yard. It was about three acres of grass, and it took us hours every week to mow that grass. But we did get the three-wheeler, and we learned a lesson about paying a price for something you really want. As I got older, I came across this again. I was a hockey player, and when I was in 10th grade, my goal singularly was to make the varsity hockey team. That's all I wanted, was to be a great hockey player, and so I did everything that I could. I spent the summers lifting weights in my barn. I built this little workout area. I would run up and down hills, and I measured out sprint distances on the road in front of our house, and I would sprint. I would shoot hockey pucks in the, in the little rink my dad had and stick handle, and I did everything I could to the point of I rollerbladed to school every day the fall of my 10th grade year. Now, it was about five miles to get there, and I was so committed to this goal that I rollerbladed no, mu- no matter what the weather I rollerbladed in the rain. I rollerbladed in the snow. I was so committed, I got pneumonia rollerblading to school. But I had a goal, and I would give anything to reach that. Now, at this stage of my life, my, my goals are a little different, you know? I'm not looking for a place on a team. I'm, I'm not looking to buy another possession. At this point in my life, the thing that I would give anything for is my kids, I have three kids. They're ages 14, 13, and 11. Two boys and a girl in the middle. And I would give anything for those kids. And parents, I'm sure you know that same feeling. It was cool during worship standing in the back scene, like all the strollers just rolling into the back. You know, and it's awkward to just straight up ask someone to hold their baby. But parents, after the service, if you need a break, I'm here for you. But I would give anything for my kids. Now in John chapter 10 today, we're going to see Jesus say some things, and one of the things that he says is that because of his love for you and I, because of his love for people, he would give anything for them, including his life. And I'd invite you to pull up that Bible under your chair. We're going to be in the New Testament gospel of John today, John chapter 10. And uh, I'll give you a little cheat. That's on page 870 if you use the Bible under your chair. So you can zip right to that, page 870. And what I want to do to kick us off is I'm just going to read this section of Scripture for you. If you want to follow along on the screen, you can. But let the words of Jesus really sink in as he speaks to these people and to us today. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, The words of the Lord in John. In this passage, Jesus is teaching us, and he uses a metaphor. He uses a metaphor of a shepherd and sheep. And he introduces four characters into the story. The sheep, the thieves and the robbers, a hired hand, and a good shepherd. It's a familiar passage to many of us. Jesus is using these metaphors to illustrate some things, some lessons that he wants to learn Jesus was a great teacher, and he spoke in ways that people could understand and ways that they could apply to their lives. In the first eight verses, we read Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking about sheep in a pen and thieves and robbers. Again, at the beginning, he said, You Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep by pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. That is a critical point. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them now who are the sheep in the story today all throughout scripture sheep are the the image of sheep is used to talk about people now are any of you currently shepherds of sheep the lights are bright but i don't see any hands It's not as common of a profession today as it was then, especially not here in in Minnesota maybe. But when I was growing up, I did have a friend from Detroit Lakes uh, who played hockey, and his family had a farm full of sheep. They were, in a sense, shepherds or sheep farmers. And I had the opportunity to go up and visit him one summer and spent some days on the sheep farm. And one of the things that we would do at night was we would hop on his family four-wheelers, and we would drive them out into the fields Uh, into the pastures where the sheep were. And he let me kind of be a part of helping to push all the sheep back into the barn at the end of the night. So since none of you raised your hands, I guess that makes me the most uh, experienced shepherd here today. Now, I don't know a lot about the sheep, but a few of the things. Yes, sheep do look, what, soft, cuddly, sort of meek. They're cute animals in a sense, I guess. But sheep can also be a bit stubborn. They can be a bit dependent on their shepherd. Sheep have a tendency to kind of eat themselves into straying. They get distracted and they, they stray away. They can stray away from the flock. They can be somewhat helpless. And it makes sense that Scripture would refer to us to people as sheep. You know, I don't know about you, but some of those characteristics of being a bit stubborn and and occasionally straying away from where I know I should be, those words can be applied to me if I'm honest. I can be a bit stubborn. I can find myself straying a little bit from the places that I want to go or or the life that I'm trying to live. And, And maybe if you were honest today, you would agree that that describes you a little bit too. I think that's one of the reasons why house groups or small groups in churches are so important because they connect us with one another and and give us a way to have some accountability in our life, to not stray away. Now, another reason sheep are so dependent on a shepherd is because they can be unaware of the dangers around them. As they graze the pasture and they're enjoying the, the green grass or the things that they're eating there, they can, they can be a bit helpless and in danger. And as we'll see later, Jesus says that the sheep and the, the flock can be attacked by the wolf. And so they need a shepherd. And you and I, we can get so distracted in our life sometimes. We can get so busy running from here to there and doing this and that and pursuing that or running that errand or taking that child there, or handling this problem or that problem, that, that we can become unaware a bit of what's really happening around us. And it's good to have someone alongside of us, a shepherd to protect us and guide us and lead us. Jesus is describing this pen full of sheep, full of sheep, sheeps, full of sheep, and thieves and robbers that are looking to break in and steal the sheep. Now, who would he be referencing in that section? Most commentators and scholars believe that he's talking about the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day, who were talking to the Jewish people in that area and giving them the rules and the law and all of the things that they were supposed to do in order to please God. And Jesus now is on the scene saying, These men giving you all of these rules, they're like thieves trying to steal sheep away from God. I like how Jesus says that his sheep will know his voice. And that when the shepherd goes to the sheep pen and he calls out the sheep, they recognize that voice and they follow him. There's power in a voice that is recognized, isn't there? When we recognize a voice, it does something to us. I think of little children, like those in the back, and how when they're upset, recognizing their mother or their father's voice speaking to them has a way of calming them. They know even before they can verbalize, when they're so small, they know their mother's voice. They know their father's voice. And they respond to it. Or that feeling you get when you take a phone call, I don't know if this is you, but isn't there, does anyone have like that phobia now of answering a phone not knowing who the number is? Like having names programmed into our phones are so great because when it rings, I know, ooh, I, I want to answer that or I don't, you know? And then a number comes up and you don't know who it is and you're like, do I answer this? And I'll, I'm honest, oftentimes I don't. I'll, like, I'll just respond to the voice message. But sometimes you feel risky and so you answer it. And it's always so relieving when you recognize the voice on the other end of the phone. There's power in recognizing a voice, Something for us to think about today. Do you recognize the shepherd's voice? The voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. There's so many voices in our world today. So many voices calling out for our attention, telling us what to do. I mean, just from marketing perspective, all of the voices I heard driving up here from Northfield today, the billboards that I saw, the things that I needed to buy the things I needed in my life, the things I needed to upgrade, right? And then all the voices about, what, what do I eat? Like, have you ever delved into like eating now? It's so difficult. There's so many voices that will tell you, eat this, don't eat this, you should eat carbs, you shouldn't eat carbs, no fat, only eat fat. I kind of like that one because bacon has fat. Sugar, don't eat sugar. That voice you should listen to because sugar is terrible. But there's just so many voices. Not to mention the voices that tell us what is moral and what is immoral. The voices that tell us what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable. The voices of politics. The voices of so much, so many things. Do you know the shepherd's voice? God's voice. Do you hear him? Is that the voice that you follow? You know, the opposite of that is following the stranger's voice. Down in my county in Northfield, there's been two incidences recently where children have reported strangers approaching them in vehicles, trying to coax them into the car using candy or or puppies or things like that. And thankfully, these kids have been taught stranger danger, right? Don't follow the stranger's voice. The stranger's voice leads to danger. Run away from the stranger's voice. In your life, what voices are you following? The voice of the shepherd or the stranger's voice? Friends, learn, train yourself, run away from the stranger's voice. Stranger danger, if it's not God's voice leading you, you don't wanna follow it. Jesus goes on to crank up the metaphor for us in in verse 9 here. Not only are the sheep being led astray by these strange voices, but they're also under attack by a spiritual enemy. There's a capital T thief named Satan. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you didn't, you do now. And he's the enemy of Jesus, the enemy of God. He's the worst stranger. And Jesus says here in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, the capital T thief, Comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Steal, kill, destroy. It re- reminds me of Thanos from the new Marvel Avengers movie, right? Just wants to destroy the world. Jesus is using strong words here to tell us about this enemy, this thief, because the thief is powerful and cunning and ruthless. This thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you and I is not some stupid criminal we would read about in a newspaper. He's not like this guy, Milton Hodges. When an attempted robbery at a Lowe's home improvement store went awry, Milton Hodges fled across the street and jumped a fence right into the Cypress Cove nudist resort and spa. As the Orlando Sentinel pointed out, as the only one wearing clothes, he was easily spotted by the police. Here's another criminal, Wayne Wade, should have stayed home this morning. On July 30th, the Florida man, by the way, have you ever recognized how many stories start out in Florida or the Florida man? The craziest stuff, you guys think Florida's great, it's where the crazy happens. On July 30, the Florida man allegedly burglarized an apartment in the town of Hollywood only to encounter the apartment owners on his way out the door. "Uh Uh-oh, now she knows what I look like. I need to get out of here, he said. So he fled only to realize that he had accidentally left his cell phone in the house he just robbed. I don't know why you need your cell phone when you're robbing a house. "Uh Uh-oh, now the cops have my fingerprints and lots of other data. I need to get that phone back. So what does he do? Wayne called his phone, hoping the person would answer it, see the humor in the situation, and return it to him. Instead, the phone was answered by a detective who was in the house investigating. According to the Sun Sentinel, Wayne told the cop his name and said he needed his phone back. Instead, he was arrested, and his fingerprints from the phone were used to tie him to five other unsolved burglaries. Lesson here for us today, don't bring your cell phone if you rob someplace. And then don't call it. You know, some criminals are just stupid. Others are very smart. How many people remember the movie Ocean's Eleven? Do you guys remember that film? Pretty great movie, and it's all kind of centers around um, criminals pulling off a crime on another criminal, in a sense. Um, They're actually going to rob a casino. Now, if you're going to rob a casino, this is a pretty good piece of advice for you today. Maybe jot this down. You don't just walk in and try to rob the casino. You have to plan. You have to plot. You have to watch the casino. At least this is what they did in the movie. You learn their routines. You learn where the security systems are. You learn where the weak points are. And when the time is right, when you've done your research, when you've done your homework, then you pull off your heist. Well, think about the capital T thief looking to steal, kill, and destroy from us. He doesn't just walk into our lives necessarily and try to blow them up. He watches. He waits. He looks for a weak point. If you imagine your life as a house, Satan is watching to rob that house. He's doing his research, studying And when the time is right, he pulls off his attack. Now, the title of today's message is Theft Prevention at the Highest Level, which leads me to this question. How safe is your house? How safe is your life from the thief who wishes to steal, kill, and destroy? Now, if you think about your house, I'd like to offer you four house types. Maybe you find yourself in one of these. The first one is an empty house. This is a house you don't have any sort of faith. Maybe you're barely just dipping your toe in the water here today, but Jesus doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Your life hasn't been committed to him or transformed by him. We're glad you're here, but at this point, in terms of the thief robbing your house, your house is still pretty empty. There's not a lot for him To to Rob, you're probably not even aware of on any level who he is until this moment. The second type of house that might be represented here today is an unguarded house. You come to church every week. You'd call yourself a Christian. At some point in your life, you made a decision for Jesus, but you know what? You really haven't done much in your life in terms of your faith. You, You haven't really built any boundaries into your life. You haven't rebuilt your, the frame of your house around Christ a whole lot. He's more kind of just an addition to your life. But for the most part, your house is pretty unguarded from Satan. You're not too concerned. You don't think about him very much. The third type of house that might be here today that Satan might want to attack is, is a broken down house or an uncared for house. A lot of us carry pain in our life past hurts, things people have done to us, things we've experienced at church, things we've experienced from people who, who were Christians and they've hurt us in one way or another. And so the, in terms of your faith and your, your house, it's kind of broken down. It's still intact, but there's a lot of weak spots, a lot of places you're not sure about faith anymore, maybe some doubt and then this one is really dangerous. This is this is the house with the open door. You've been a Christian, but your door is wide open to the thief. Maybe it's wide open because you, you've decided that, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just want to live my life this way. I just want to do my own thing. I don't really care what the word of God says not real concerned about church or being part of any sort of a spiritual community to protect me or hold me accountable. I'll do this on my own when I want to, if, if I even want to. And you may even proactively do things that you know are against the Word of God and you just don't care. Your door is wide open to the thief. Friends, no matter which house you are today, The fact that you're here on Memorial Day is a good thing, because Jesus is here also. The shepherd is here also. And you are all his sheep. For those of us who profess a faith in Jesus, no matter if we've walked away from him, we're walking closely with him, we're not sure exactly where we're at in that journey, you are part of his flock. And as I just read, the thief would come to steal, kill, and destroy you. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. And so following the good shepherd means that we have the opportunity for this full life. Let's look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not a shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the flock and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand, Jesus says, doesn't care about the sheep. I used to have a job in management with uh, Target and with Walmart. And can I tell you guys that I worked with some hired hands there? I had employees who were just there for the paycheck and barely that. You guys probably know that type of employee. You've probably managed one or you, you maybe work alongside one. Hopefully, you are not one. Because the hired hand is the worst type of employee. They don't care about the company. They really don't care about doing that good of a job. They show up because they know they have to, but they might show up late. They always want to leave early. They do about half an effort, and if the job's ever difficult, they just quit. The hired hand is, is terrible. They can't be counted on. They're unreliable, untrustworthy. Do you know that we turn to a lot of hired hands in our lives to try to meet our needs instead of turning to the shepherd. The hired hand Jesus is talking about here doesn't really care about the sheep. They're just there watching the pen to get a paycheck. They have their own self-interest in mind. And so when the wolf comes, they're gone. What do I care about the sheep? Give me my money, I'm going to go. I don't want any pain in my life, any suffering in my life. And maybe you, maybe you can think, not of a person necessarily, but something you turned to in your life when you were hurting to protect you or to boost you up. Maybe, maybe it was an, an addiction, alcohol or, or drugs. Something was missing in your life. And so you, you brought in that hired hand, that booze, that, that drug, because it made you feel good. It made you feel protected. It, it made you feel like things were going to be okay. But it didn't last, did it? It wouldn't be there when things got real hard for you. maybe it was a relationship. Man, you were lonely, you were sad, and you thought that a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a wife or a husband, they'd do the trick, they'd protect you, they'd lift you up, but that doesn't do the trick either. Because when the wolf comes back, when the pain comes back, the relationship breaks down. Maybe you chased money, and money was your hired hand. You thought, if I had enough in my account, if I owned this thing or that thing, then my problems would go away. Then I'd feel fulfilled. Then I would finally have that life, that abundant life. But, but the boat breaks, the car rusts, the money spends, the debt piles up, and, and it's not there for you. The hired hand. The point of the hired hand is this it will never be there for you. There's no substitute for Christ. There's nothing that you can choose that can stand up in your life, that has the power to lift you up and hold you. When the wolf comes, when Satan comes to attack, everything else scatters except for Christ. And Jesus reinforces this again and again in this passage. And he says here in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, again he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and this, I lay down my life for the sheep. Friends, you're not going to find anything that will lay itself down for you like Christ. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too listen to my voice and there shall be one flock, one shepherd The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only, this is the key, to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, Jesus says. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. You know, when I think about sheep and the shepherd, I think of that picture that I first saw so many years ago as a little kid in church. And it was a couple of cute little sheep. And, and it was kind of a cute little shepherd. You know, you even think about like the little kids that we put up on stage. And they, they have their mama's bathrobe on and the towel roll wrapped around their head. And they're so cute, these cute little shepherd, you know, these cute little sheep. But don't think of Jesus that way. Jesus isn't just some cute little shepherd. Jesus, think about Jesus like kind of a buff shepherd, <laughs> right? Jesus was a CrossFit shepherd. <laughs> and he wasn't afraid of a, sheep, of a wolf. The wolf didn't scare Jesus because Jesus knew that the wolf couldn't defeat him. Jesus knew he was going to die for his sheep, for his flock. He was going to lay down his life. But it wasn't because he would be overpowered by the wolf. But he would choose to lay down his life. Because he has the power to take his life up again. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus defeated death. In Corinthians it says, death, where is your sting? It's gone in Christ." In the farmhouse where I grew up, we had this, uh, the way it was laid out was there, we had the living room and you could sit on the couch in the living room and see through the dining room into the kitchen. And in the end of the kitchen were some big glass doors, okay? And you could see, when it was bright out, you could see all the way outside into the yard. But when it was dark out, what happens? You get the reflection from the lights inside the house, right? And there would be nights when I would be babysitting my brothers and sister and We'd be sitting on the couch and it would be dark and it would be late and our dog, we had this boxer named Major. This dog would be sleeping on the couch and all of a sudden he'd lift up his head and look into the kitchen and start barking. And sometimes he'd hop off the couch and and kind of run into the kitchen. And I was a kid, I would get scared. What is outside? What is he what what is he barking at? And I wouldn't go running after the dog. I'd sit on the couch a while and just kind of look into the kitchen to see if I could see anything outside. That was probably major barking at his own reflection, you know. But it was scary being a kid home alone on a farm in the dark. I thought there was something out there. And we can get into the tendency when we talk about Satan, our enemy, and being a wolf looking to attack the flock, to be afraid and to look around every corner, scared that Satan was going to attack us. And can I encourage you this morning that we don't need to do that? We should be mindful, we should be aware, but we should also be strong and confident in the fact that we have a good shepherd who loves us, cares for us, laid down his life for us, and took his life up again to defeat the wolf. You know, Satan comes into our life and he wants to snarl and growl and scare us. But in Christ, we can look back at him and see nothing but a nipping little dog and say, get away from me, little pup. You have no power over me because I am in Christ Jesus. Friends, I'm going to end with that with you today. I want you to know that Jesus is with you, that Jesus gives you the strength to face whatever it is you're going through in your life, that instead of turning to some sort of substitute, instead of looking for the hired hand to come into your life, that if you would just Give your life over to Christ, the good shepherd. Tune in your heart and ears to his voice. Run from the strange voices that call out to you and follow the voice of Christ. He will lead you into the abundant life that he promises for each and every one of us who are part of his flock. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you today on Memorial Day. For who you are and for what you have done. It was so fitting that as Dave said as he opened the service, Pastor Dave mentioned that there are many people to remember this weekend, people who have given their lives for us, for our freedoms, to protect us here in America. We honor them. We thank you for them. We thank their families for their sacrifices. But Jesus, we thank you today above all else for your sacrifice, for your willingly laying down your own life for us, that you, Jesus, were willing to give anything, that you would do anything for us, your sheep. I pray for all of us here today. I pray for our lives, for our homes, that you would give us protection. You, Jesus, are our highest theft protection. You give us eternal protection from the theft of our soul. Thank you today for who you are and all that you have done.